right, so we, we're actually in our second week of our Ephesians series. Uh, I have a lot to cover. I'm long-winded to begin with, and I don't have a lot of time. So I'm just going to dive right into it. I'm glad you guys are here. I'm glad you guys are excited. I, I, honestly, it seemed like y'all enjoyed worship. I'm glad you guys enjoyed worship, because when the idea was thrown up, there was a couple like, will that work? And it's like... If it doesn't, that's their problem because I'm going to have a good time. Uh, but so I'm glad, I'm glad that you guys joined us in and worshipped. Uh, but next week we will we'll be back, back in action. Amen. I'm excited for that too. It's always good. Uh, so today we're going to cover, if you can see on the screen, Amelia made that awesome graphic. Shout out to the media team. And you can only see the graphic because the production team put it up. So shout out for the production team. Y'all are anointed. We love you. Shout out for the cleaning team. I was just going to keep going. I'm sorry. Okay, apparently, those are my three favorite ministries. I'm moving on now. Um, but we're going to cover Ephesians 3 to 14. Uh, now, uh, if you remember last week, we really just established kind of foundational groundwork. I'm going to trip on this at some point. I know it. And so now I won't. Um, we laid groundwork and really talked about the identity and the fact that Ephesians really is a book on identity. And so we get to dive into that even more today. Uh, I get to be, if you notice, the title of the sermon is Spiritual Blessings. I get to be straight up pastoral today. You know what I'm saying? Like normally when I'm preaching the Bible, I got to come at you guys and I got to be like, this is sin and the Bible says this is wrong. Uh, but there is none of that in the next 12 verses. Uh, it is all encouragement. It is all God is good. It is all hallelujah. You can call me Bishop West today because I'm going to throw a message your way that is all encouragement. Um, <laughs> um, I'll find a way. I'll find a way to, to call you out. Trust me. But um, uh, so we'll, we'll get a few things out the way right out the gate so that you understand really what we're reading right now. Uh, I was tempted to break this section into three and preach three separate sermons on it um, because there are really three major themes being preached in this section. Here's why I can't do it. Um, if you look in your book, your Bible, whatever version it is, and you read Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, you're going to see a lot of commas, a lot of periods, a lot of just punctuation, breaking up of thought. But here's something you need to know. In the original Greek, this is one long sentence. These next 12 verses is one thought. Paul never puts a comma, never puts a period. They didn't really have those, but you know their version. Uh, there is no indentation. There's no moving on to the next thought. These next 12 verses is one long, uninterrupted thought. It is a run-on sentence, level 10. And at no point, it, when, just because you're reading period breaks, those were not there. And so I felt that if Paul wanted this said in one breath, I couldn't preach it in three sermons. We're going to preach it in one breath. Does that make sense? Uh, hallelujah. Uh, one long, beautiful sentence. I'm really excited about that. However, you can break it up into four smooth sections. Really three, but I'm going to say four to make life easy. Uh, so again, if you're taking notes... I'm going to give you some, some stuff so you can write it down so you can really see what we're talking about as we're going forward. If you're not taking notes, take notes, you know? Uh, that's that's my, my stance on that. Uh, so there's going to be a thesis statement, which is going to be verse 3, right? I'm going I'm to I'm break this book down. We're going to have a good time. I'm going to break these 12 verses down. And then from verse 4 to 6, we are talking about the Father, specifically the selection of the Father. Uh-oh. Specifically, we're going to talk about the fact that the Father predestined you. The next section is about the Son. Chapter 7 to 12, verse 7 to 12, is specifically talking about Jesus and his role in your life. Uh, or the sacrifice of the Son. And the third, fourth, whichever. Okay, one second. Awesome. Okay, the fourth one. <laughs> we're in it. It just it is what it is. It, it went down. I, I got it. Uh, <laughs> 
we're going to keep moving. Keep it going. Um, the last, uh, from uh, verse 13 to 14, it is about the Holy Spirit. It is the seal. <laughs> I did. I was perfect. It was the seal. The seal of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that you are sealed by God. Here's why this is actually really cool and really important. Uh, so back in the, you ever hear people say phrases like, this word's not in the Bible, so therefore it's not biblical. And they'll say that about the word Trinity and the word Bible and the word rapture and whatever other word they don't like that day. And they'll explain to you why it's not in the Bible. But again, just because we use the term in theology doesn't mean that it's in the Bible. It just means the teaching of it is. So at a certain point in history, the church started to schism. The reason why they started to schism is because when Jesus came to earth, he very clearly taught that him and God were one. He very clearly taught about a trinity without using the word trinity. He just didn't make a distinction, and yet he would make distinctions at the same time. It was mind-blowing. It didn't make sense. Right? Which why last week we dove into Daniel. We saw the two princes, but really it's just Jesus both times. Right? You should listen to last week if you, if you haven't heard it. Um, and so when these breakings in the church started to happen, they held a council. And they started talking about the deity of, you know, they started talking about the Trinity. They started coining these terms that we use now. The church history is really important. So that way someone doesn't come online and be like, well, you just believe this book, but it's a copy of a copy of a copy. And it's changed and it's been changed. And it's like, that's not even kind of historically accurate. It's a meme that got made by a comedian, and people have ran with it ever since, right? Not by a theologian, by a comedian. Um, and he was in Small Soldiers. I watched that as a kid, and I loved his character, and it broke my heart that he started some nonsense. Um, <laughs> but um, someone got slapped over it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it is one of the best moments in church history. St. Nick, who is where we get Santa Claus from, Santa Claus slapped a guy. Like, literally in real history, Santa Claus slapped someone who tried to say that Jesus wasn't God. Like, straight got slapped. And that's, like, that's how important this stuff was to them. Uh, and so when they were producing the Trinity, not producing it, but they were teaching it theologically and, and creating the theology and showing the verses in the Bible to be like, hey, look at all the times this is clearly happening. Uh, this, was actually, this verse we're reading was actually one of the main verses that solidified the Trinity. Because the entirety of Trinity through the gospel is shown. These next 12 verses I'm about to preach to you is literally the redemption of mankind. It is the reconciliation of redemption of us to God. And it is showing you how each member of the Trinity played a part in it. It's going to be awesome. We have the, we're going to talk about the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And we just, we're, it's going to be great. So uh, let's dive in. Without further ado, I just want to make, you, make sure we really understand that. Uh, we're going to spend the most time on verse 3. And then we're actually kind of going to fly through the rest of it. Uh, because really, what you read is pretty much what Paul is saying. Uh, in almost every translation of the Bible, there's really not a lot of nitpicking going on in this section of Scripture because you're reading ESV, you're reading NLT, you're reading NIV, you're reading whatever translation. You read New King James, King James. Maybe you're one of those people, and the fact that I'm reading ESV, I'm, I'm not reading the true word of God. But don't worry, even the King James pretty much says the same thing uh, about what we're about to read right now. This section isn't debated. It's pretty straightforward, but there is depth in it. And it's debated a little bit, but we'll hit those verses when we come to it. Uh, but let's start with verse 3, where we're going to spend most of our time today. And it said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Awesome. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. So the Father has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You can just leave that up. He's going to be there for a little bit. Let's, we're going to break down most of the words here uh, because this, this literally is Paul. Verse 14, he pretty much says the same thing again. 
And so let's, let's, let's really make sure we're understanding what we're reading. First is the word blessed is used three times in English. Uh, in Greek, it's two different words being used. Right? So the first blessed, which is the one directed to God. Right? You notice the first blessing is about God. The other two blessings are God blessing us. So first, Paul is telling us to bless God. And that word for bless translates to, it just pretty much means praise or to speak highly of. Right? That's what the word hallelujah means, right? It's what the word praise means, the word bless. So when the Bible says, like, where, where David's like, I pray that this blesses you, he's saying, I pray that this lifts you up. I'm praying that this, this you know, that you feel like, like I really am giving you my all. And so what Paul is saying, and everything he's about to preach, he's about to preach the entire gospel, he starts with one phrase, bless. He says, lift up God. And this is why this is so important, because he's about to preach the gospel. And what is the response of the Christians to the gospel? We praise God. So we praise God because we blessed us, and as he blesses us, we praise him. And this, see, there's a, if you read the book of Judges, there are these things. I've talked about them before. This is like my, my, my thesis, is that if you look at uh, the book of Judges, if you look at history, if you look at your own life a lot of times, you'll see that we, we travel in cycles. You know, and the, you see it most in the book of Judges of the Old Testament, right? It's like Israel loves God. God blesses them because he blesses them. They get lazy because they get lazy. They start to sin because they start to sin. God stops blessing them because he's not blessing them. They get attacked because they get attacked. They cry out to God because they cry out to God. God's faithful. He saves them because he saves them. They worship him. And because they worship him, he blesses them. And because he blesses them. They get lazy, right? And because they're lazy, they start to fall into sin. And because they fall into sin, God stops blessing them. And because he stops blessing them, their enemies attack them. And because their enemies attack them, they cry out for God. And because they cry out for God, and he's a faithful God, he saves them. And because he, he saves them, he blesses them because they worship him. And then he blesses them. And because he blesses them, unfortunately, uh, they get lazy. And because, You know what I'm saying? And that is literally the book of Judges. What is it, 14 times? I think that it's 14 cycles. Here's the thing that I think is really important for Christians. Do you know that there are things the Bible teaches us that there are good cycles? You can get caught in a similar kind of cycle that just keeps the blessings flowing. And actually, what we're reading in this section of Scripture is one of them. Bless God because he saved you. Right? Because he saved you, we're going to talk about spiritual blessings. Because he saved you, he's going to give you spiritual blessings. Because he gives you spiritual blessings, praise him. And because of that praising, he's going to give you more spiritual blessings. And in response to those blessings, you should praise him. And in response to that blessing, like, and it just becomes this, this positive cycle. Pause and think about all the good things God has done for you. Thank him for it. Shift your mind to looking for it and seeing it, and you'll find your life is more blessed. But just like Israel, we tend to focus on the negative and what we focus on, we inevitably worship. And they start to worship. And I think we do the same thing. We, we, we worship our issues. We worship our spouse, our children. We worship our job. We worship security a lot of times. We wouldn't call it worship, but then when you look up and you have a big fun Bible study on what worship is, you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> right? Um, but if we can shift it to God, if we can praise him, if we can lift him up, it's why traditionally churches tend to start with worship. Because the point is, hey, you're going to hear the word of God. Let's praise in advance. Like in response to the fact that you know you're going to get blessed today. Let's bless him first. It's beautiful. It's what we got to do here. And it's wonderful. But then let's talk about the other two blessings. Those other two blessings, they mean to benefit or to prosper. So when we see this first bless, it's saying just lift his name up high. 
But then when it's saying that he has blessed you in Christ, it's saying he has prospered you and he has benefited you. And then when it says with every spiritual blessing, he's saying every spiritual prosperity and every spiritual benefit. Every. I get to have my fun charismatic moment. I looked up in the Greek. Guess what every means? Every. You know what I'm saying? It means all of them. <laughs> it means nothing is missing. Every, in fact, means every. And when you read every spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing. Are you saying every? I'm saying every spiritual blessing. Hear me. What is the prerequisite? Spiritual. You're telling me my 401k? No, I'm not, I'm not making promises about that. I'm making promises about the position of your heart and that, in fact, you can always sit in joy, regardless of what's happening. I'm talking about the fact that when you're at your lowest of low, God's affection is upon you. He is looking at you, and he loves you, and you are blessed. And if we can be like the characters from Hebrew 11 that the, the Bible says the world was not worthy of because we're just kind of passing through. And so what would happen if you really change your perspective to I am just passing through? You would pursue the blessings that are coming versus the ones that you can have now. Like if you're on a road trip, right? And someone's like, hey, do you want $1,000 on the road trip or do you want a million dollars when you get to the destination? <laughs> but then in our lives, we tend to take $1,000 on the road trip, right? Because it's, it's right in front of us. But spiritual blessings go so much deeper. Um, now, I want to say something that's really cool, right? Uh, so this word for blessed, um, I, I, I should have written it down. I don't know why I didn't. I wrote down the definition. I forgot to write the word down. Uh, so whatever, it's not important. You can just Google it. Go to, uh, go to Blue Letter Bible and just look up the word. Click blessed, interlinear, boom, it's right there. To benefit, to prosper, whatever. Um, <laughs> um, this word in the Greek is actually in all of our writings of antiquity. Uh, every single uh, poem about the gods of the Greeks and the gods of the Romans. And, and any time we have a Greek manuscript that is interacting with the gods, never once in all of those writings is this word blessed ever used in relation to any other god. This word blessed in all time is uniquely used by Paul to Yahweh. Uniquely. It is a unique thing. And here's why. We're going to talk about it as we go forward, but here's why it's so important. Because when you're reading about Zeus, right? When you're reading about pick the god that you think is super cool, Thor, whatever. Uh, when, whatever god they were worshiping, I'm, I'm getting my, my, my demographics mixed up right now. Uh, but they worshiped all these gods, Mars, Jupiter. They just had a good time, right? When we named planets after them. Um, but when they started, they started worshiping these gods, they would write these epics about them. And the reason they would use words to say that the gods are blessing you, but never this word. And here's why. Because it was always a symbiotic relationship. Right? So basically, Zeus would bless you should you do something for him. He would give you wisdom in exchange for you doing a specific thing for him. Right? Um, he would, it was this covenant. You do this for me, I'm going to do it for you. And with Yahweh, we do actually see that throughout the Bible. He does tend to interact with us that way. But not this blessing. Not these spiritual blessings. And here's why. Because the Bible makes it clear, and Paul's about to make it clear. He's using this phrase intentionally because he's about to tell you that God chose you. Right? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. Right? We see this theme across scripture that you didn't ask for it. You didn't deserve it. You weren't looking for it, but God gave it. And because he gave it, you realize you needed it. And so what happens with this kind of blessing, what Paul is teaching is you didn't do anything to earn this. God just gave it to you. You didn't pray for him so hard that he showed up and saved you. He just saved you. 
you weren't just perfectly faithful, so he gives you these spiritual blessings. You actually just have them. The faith that it took to save you was the faith that gave you all of these blessings. And just because we're not walking in them doesn't mean we don't have them. And that is what Paul was trying to get because, again, he's trying to shift their perspectives. Stop sacrificing to God and expecting him to give you something. Actually, just lay out your hands because you're a child and he's already given it. Right? And so Paul was doing something unique to the Greek people. And especially in our time, you're looking and they're reading this. They're reading this Ephesians text. And I promise you it did not make sense to them because it is not their disposition or their view of God's. Did you know that you're blessed? Did you know regardless of what you did yesterday, you're actually blessed? That's why I said I get to be pastoral today. I get to just, I just get to have a good time and tell you this truth. Jesus loves you. (laughs) This I know, for the Bible tells me so, right? And it's like that's actually can be enough for us because that's the thing that sustains us through any trial we're going through. Any sin plaguing our lives. It's still just the blood of Jesus. It's just the fact that he has blessed you. You didn't earn it. You, you didn't do anything to deserve it. You deserved it by nature of him who loved you. You deserved it because of his nature, not yours. And you'll see a theme in scripture that God gets what he wants. <laughs> you'll see a theme across these next 12 verses that God gets what he wants. And what the interesting thing about that is, then you'll read and you'll realize that God wanted you. And that's actually beautiful. So the first of these two blessings, I want to get specific about them. Uh, first, you see has blessed. Uh, so we've talked about this before, but let's bring it up again. In the Greek, there are a specific three specific types of verb tenses that we don't have in English, right? And what that means is there are some words that when they're used a certain way, it means going back infinite, right? So it'd just be like, it'd be like if I said Paul was running, Right? But in, in, in the Greek, that word for running could mean forever. And so it could like, so when they read it, they would say, Paul never stopped running. Right? Because of the way the Greek is used. Then there are some, which just means this thing repeats infinitely. Right? Like when Jesus says, from glory to glory. He uses that verb because it actually says, from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. Like the sentence isn't supposed to stop. You're just, you're continuously going to greater and greater in God. Uh, and then there are some tenses in the, which that'll preach, right? Uh, it's just not the sermon for today. And then there are also verb tenses that means it goes on for forever, from here forever, right? Um, in the Greek, this has blessed is going back forever, which is unique. It's not going forward forever. It's going back forever. That what Paul is saying is God blessed you before you were even born. What it's teaching is that before you were born again, God was preparing to bless you. Because what's happening, and I'm sorry for those of us, I'm not a Calvinist, but we're going to kind of get there a little bit today. Because this section of scripture, Paul is really harping. What He's writing to Gentiles. You're not God's chosen people, and yet he had chosen you. Like he, he's dealing with this disposition of like, well, God, Israel is God's chosen people. Actually, from the foundations of the earth, God had chose the Gentiles too. He was just waiting for the right time. Right? And I can prove it because the next verse when we get there, it literally says from the foundations of the earth, right? But let's talk about that in a second. Um, But it means going back infinitely. So in the Greek, it shows us that the blessings were bestowed upon us from eternity past. Believers don't need to ask for what is already given. We received it by our saving faith. So God had basically positioned something over your head. 
that was waiting. And the second you found him, you bowed, fell to your knees and you accepted him as your Lord and Savior. It just poured on you. Think back again. Let's think back on your life. You ever think back on your life to those of you who didn't find Jesus until you were a little older? You ever look back and see all the times that he's like, I didn't deserve that. That was clearly him getting me here. It's because you were marked. You were, mar- you were marked for God's blessings from before time. You were marked, right? And this is actually what Paul is teaching here, right? And so, again, we get into these conversations and people immediately start going, well, this theology and that. Take a deep breath. Can the infinite God who knows all things just have looked at you from the beginning of time, knowing you'd eventually be his, and decide, I love you? Can the God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, who, again, is across all of time and space in one moment, can't he already know what's going on and already have decided that he's going to bless you? Because time is a relative thing to us. It's not to God, right? What does that do with my free will? I don't really care. It's not what Paul's talking about. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you still have it. He just knew what you were going to do. I don't know. <laughs> do, do what you will with that. <laughs> uh, and then the last one is spiritual blessings in heavenly places, right? Uh, here's why that's significant. Um, heavenly blessings is used five times in Ephesians. You want to know why it was used five times in Ephesians? You want to know why? It's pretty exciting. Uh, at least for a nerd like me. It might not be exciting for other people. Because in Ephesus, they, er- they worship the goddess Artemis, who was the goddess of earthly realms. So basically, Paul looked at this section of land where they worshiped the god of land, and so he goes, yeah, my god's in the heavens. Yeah, my god's above your god. And he keeps repeating it. Like, because, I don't know, God's always been kind of gangster about that. And if you, like, look at it, uh, whenever there's another God in, in the way of Yahweh, God tends to do some, like, like sarcastic stuff. Like, he tends to do some, like, like, oh, like, he was just trying to embarrass the heck out of his God, right? I love it. You go throughout the Bible, right? You see, you see, uh, you see Joshua, and he makes the sun stand still. And then he killed the people worshiping the sun, right? And it's because they're scared because their God is standing still in the face of our God. And that was like this mind game, right? You see the, alt- the, the Ark of the Covenant get placed in a room with Dagon, the statue. And it gets knocked over. And they go, oh, this is weird. And they lift it back up. And they come back and it didn't get knocked over. It got jacked up because it's like, why did you stand him back up? He was bowing before me. And the, they looked at that. They started getting sick. And they're like, take, take your Ark back. We don't want it. Uh, apparently, because again, they thought that Yahweh didn't have power in their land. Because in their societies, when you were in certain places, certain gods ruled. And yet, across the Bible, you see time and time again, when Yahweh comes into this land that doesn't belong to him, it does anyway. There is something all-encompassing about God. All ten of the plagues against Egypt, all are attacks against their gods. Oh, you have a god. You you do the god of life. Well, let me just kill that guy real quick. Yeah. Oh, you believe in the god that's going to protect the Nile? I'll fill it with blood. Have a good time, because I'm in control, and I'm not asking for permission to be in control. I'm God. Right? And it's just like this consistent through theme with God. And so Paul is writing to people who worship the God of the earth. And so when he goes, yeah, so the heavenly God's watching over you. He's giving you heavenly blessings. So you can take these earthly blessings from this goddess or you can bless the God that bestowed the rain that actually landed on her ground to even let you have your crops because he's in control. Right? And it's just, it's this snarky thing and it's amazing. And it's used more times in Ephesians than anywhere else in the Bible because Paul's being... He's been a little extra, and I love it, and I'm here for it. God is above, and his blessings are everlasting. Amen? Amen. So in the next five minutes, uh, let's run through the end of this section really quick. Uh, Next. God's God's here. He's listening. Um, 
we're going to go from 4 to 6 first, and then we'll go from 7 to 12, and then we'll go from 13 to 14. So 4 to 6, the main theme of this section is that the Father has selected you, right? Don't shoot the messenger. He died anyway. Um, Ephesians 1, 4 to 6, starting verse 4. Right, because he, he chose you. Uh, even as he chose us. Amen. You, you know that word in the Greek for chose me? It means he chose you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like can, can we talk about the all-knowing God real quick? Uh, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You know what's crazy? If you go to Revelation, you see that the Bible says that Christ was crucified before the foundation of the world. You know, there's actually about seven things in Scripture, maybe six. I didn't actually count. I was just reading about them um, that say this thing happened before the foundation. There are only a handful of things that are ever given the, the, the moniker of before God made this world, before he set the foundation, he had set some things in motion. Before he spoke the world, before that foundation was even in place, God had chosen you. And that would be encouraging if there wasn't baggage of people using that weird. Like, again, think about it. He just, for some reason, for whatever that reason is, he just likes you. And so he chose you. Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. All right, here is the one uh, section that I really think we have to, you're going to have to go back and forth between four and five with me. Uh, so just get ready for that. Do you see how there's a period right there? It says that we should be holy and blameless before him, period, in love. Like I told you, it's one sentence. So let's go, period, in love, he predestined us, which, uh-oh, right? We're using big words. I don't like these words. Uh, these, these words kind of imply that I, I wasn't in control of my own destiny. Welcome to the gospel. Uh, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Now, pause really quick. I go back. So here's the problem. That period isn't there. So scholars actually are debating, and they debate this. Does the, is Paul saying that we should be holy and blameless in love? Or putting it better, because God blessed us, we fall in love with him. And because we're in love with him, we live holy and blameless. Is Paul saying that, or is he saying that God, in his love, predestined you? We don't know. It's Greek. It's old. History is complicated. We actually don't know what that means. Here's the good news. Uh, biblically, I have verses that prove both of those things, right? That my holy living is not in response to, I got to try harder to just be more sinless. But actually, the more you fall in love with God, the less likely you are to do things, right? It, you know, it's the analogy we've used a thousand times. You don't cheat on someone if you love them. You don't. You can excuse it all you want. And you can say you have the feelings of love, but love is an action, Right? And because of my love for my wife, I am faithful even in difficult times, right? Because love preps you to do the right thing. And that just, it is what it is. And again, I'm not saying you didn't have feelings of endearment, but I'm saying love was the action that would have said no, right? So when you really are in love with someone, it changes the way you act towards them. You shift to, I don't need to have my way. I don't need to be in charge. I don't need to be domineering. I'm not trying to sculpt you into this image of this wife that I'm looking for, this husband that I'm looking for. But it's actually because I love you, I change in response to what you need. And because you love me, you change in response to what I need. It's why husbands and wives start to look like each other in a healthy relationship. They look like each other in unhealthy ones too because one person is browbeating someone into this 
little box they want. But in these healthy relationships, what tends to happen is, well, my wife sees the things I don't like, and so she doesn't do them. And there are things that she doesn't like that I used to do, and I just don't do them anymore because she doesn't like it. And it's love, and it's healthy, right? And the same thing with God. Is that what's being preached here? Maybe. And honestly, that's a good sermon. Stop. Here's why it's a good sermon. Stop fighting your sin and just go lay at the feet of Jesus. Your sin will leave. Right? Set up barriers. Set up boundaries. And go sit at the feet of Jesus. Because he's the one that set you free. He's not this authoritarian looking down at you and being like, you messed up. He sees that we messed up. He disciplines us. He does walk us back to the right path. But he does it in love. Or is God saying that in his love, he chose you. Again, I have verses for that too. So I don't think it matters is the point that I'm trying to make. Did you know that the reason why God chose you is because he loved you? Not because of what you could do for his gospel. Because he loves you. And he loves the broken you now. Right? And it's like, it's like do, do you actually really know that? Like, Sandra, do you know that you've shared your testimony publicly? Do you know that even at the lowest point of your testimony, God loved you and he chose you and he was leading you to the moment where you can be an example to the people around you? Like, do you know that? Do you look back at your life and realize that you're here because God loved you? And that's the only reason why you're here. You didn't work at it hard enough. You didn't. This is the theology of the gospel, is that I change because I was so loved. To write love on her arms, right? I don't know if you've heard of that, that corporation, that company. It just started with three college students who noticed there was a girl who was cutting herself and was depressed. So they decided, we're just going to love her, buy her, take care of her for the rest of the college year, and we're going to see what happens. In response to that, this company, this girl changed her entire life, found peace, joy, and happiness because she was just loved, right? And there's just something about the fact love changes us. And sometimes love has to lay down the truth. I'm not denying that. Sometimes love has to put its foot down and say, this is wrong. But come on. We know that wasn't the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh time. Right? It was way later that that finally had to happen. Think of how often you walked off the rails with God. And he didn't slam you back. He loved you. And you wandered back on your own because you went back to the place where you were loved. God loves you. He predestined us for adoptions to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us. There's a theme here. Blessed us in the beloved. See that word beloved? That's Jesus. Guess what? Beloved, we are changing terms now. Now we're focusing on Jesus. So verse 7 to 12 is focusing on the blood and sacrifice of Jesus. Amen? <laughs> That's what washed you clean. In him, who's him? Jesus, because we just shifted. We were talking about the Father, now we're talking about the Son. And in him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Like, just look at this. It's just like redemption, forgiveness, riches. Like, there's just like, it's like, it's over, he's overly explaining He's just saying a lot of beautiful words because that's the point. Jesus is just a lot of beautiful towards us, right? Grace, which, ooh, this, this, this is like my favorite verse in the section. 
which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. You know what the word lavish means? Lavish, I'm just kidding. Uh, the word lavish, it, it actually it means exactly what you think, though. It's just like an overabundance, right? So like when this woman was at the feet of Jesus and she breaks her perfume bottle and she begins to lavish her love upon Jesus and they try to tell her, like, what are you doing? And Jesus says, no, let her. Jesus turns around and he does the same thing to us. He, lav- he breaks open the bottle and he lavishes his love upon us. And what I love about that is it's all wisdom and insight. Have you ever hit the moment of rock bottom with God where you actually came to the conclusion, God, I do not get why you love me. God, why did you choose me? I, I cannot stop. I am a broken, brutal mess and yet you keep showing up. And you know what's weird is you would think if you're being honest, it's like, it's like he wasted his blood. And yet God says to lavish that upon you was wisdom, and he did it in insight. He poured his blessings onto you, knowing what you would do, knowing that after the blessings where you would wander, knowing how far away you would trickle. But in insight, he knew you were coming back, and he kept pouring, and he kept loving, because he's Jesus. It's lavish. It's wisdom. Go back a verse. Go back to seven. What is being lavished? Blood, forgiveness, grace, redemption. It's being lavished. And God says it is wise that he did it. He does not regret what he did for you. Even when you mess up, he doesn't regret what he did for you. Stop living under the gaze of an angry God. You're not. At least not for those who have been elected. Now, anyway, um, we'll keep going. Um, (laughs) Verse 8, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. You know what I'm saying? Did you know that God doesn't have secrets from his church anymore? Uh Uh-oh. You say amen, and then it's like, "Mm, God works in mysterious ways. That verse doesn't apply to you. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, Like, that verse isn't about you. Like, that verse, like, literally, he makes known to you the mystery of his will. Well, God works in mysterious ways. Cool. Well, he let me know about the mystery. It's not a mystery to me. Because his mysterious ways is the gospel. The point is, is the people couldn't understand about the coming Messiah. Those are the mysterious ways that were coming. According to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. We snuck to the Father really quick, making known to us the mystery of his will. So through Christ, we know the mystery of God the Father's will and his purpose because God the Father is the one that's in control, uh, which he set forth in Christ. Let's keep reading so we can wrap this up. As a plan for the fullness of time, which that, that'll preach, uh, to unite all things in him, God wants everyone with him. It's not gonna happen, unfortunately. We have to do a sermon and we will do it later in this message Uh, this series, uh, we will have to do a sermon, a topic on the will of God. Because even in this section, two different aspects of God's will were shown, and it would have been overly complicated to focus on that now. We will get to it. There is a a sermon coming that is like, hey, we got to talk about the will of God, because at some points it can seem contradictory, unless you put all the verses together and see what God's really teaching about his will. Keep moving, though. Uh, Things in heaven and things on earth, we know that they are coming together at the end, right? Old heaven, old earth passing away, new heaven and new earth colliding, and that's where we will live. Um, In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been, y'all say it, what's the word? 
You know what I'm saying? Uh, having been predestined according to the... We've heard election and predestined like four times now. I'm just saying it's in the Bible. Uh, been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. There is God's will again. Jesus Christ is doing things according to the counsel of God's will. Keep moving so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be again to the praise of his glory. There is an aspect of praise that God receives just because you got saved. You're a part of that. You bless God. But, you know, obviously you don't, you don't benefit him. You know what I'm saying? You praise his name. You lift him up. He is elevated. His glory is shown through you. And we're going to shift now from Jesus to the Holy Spirit. Oh, that was my daughter for a second, because usually she cries when I start to get to this point. <laughs> uh, and lastly, we're, we get to the Holy Spirit, and it says, uh, in him, and again, the Holy Spirit's the one who sealed you. We're still talking about Christ, though. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Sorry, burp. You were sealed by the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And again, now he's going to say the last thing, which is the first thing he said, to the praise of his glory. That's that word for blessing. So again, he said, bless the Lord because he saved you, because he selected you, because he died for you, because he made you a part of his plan and his purpose, and because he sealed you, and because of that, bless his name. And it's like, there's a thing in theology, it's called the law of firsts and the law of seconds. What does that mean? Or the law of lasts. That basically means the first thing said in a list is the first or second most important thing. And the last thing said in the list is the opposite of the first or second most important thing. And what I love about this is in Paul's sentence, if we took into account the laws of firsts and the laws of second, the first and second most important thing in this sentence is to praise God both. It is the most important thing. Everything Paul was explaining, it was the entirety of the gospel was for one purpose, for your joy, so you could praise him. Amen? Y'all praise God with me today? Who's happy that he chose you? <laughs> Who's happy that he died for you? Who's happy that he sealed you? That word adoption, he chose you for adoption. You can't unadopt a child that you've adopted is against Jewish law laid out by God. God will not unadopt you. You're his. Eternally his. You can't walk out of your salvation. You cannot lose it. There are some debates that maybe you can give it away, uh, but that wouldn't be you sinned so hard that God left you. Right? Just know this, how permanent these sections are. Preordained, predestined, elected, chosen. Sacrifice, lavish, blood, riches, glory, sealed, promise, possession. These are the words that were just through this section. God loves you. His eyes are on you. And not in the sense of judgmental anger, but he just loves you. And hopefully you can remember that going this week. In Jesus' name I say, amen. Love you guys. Have a blessed week.